We're journeying through this Sermon on the Mount, which I really, I don't know how long we're going to be here. And I agree with you. Maybe we could spend several weeks on uh, just this text um, on being the light of the world and salt of the earth. But let me, let me just start off here. Let me start off by saying this. And we can be all about Jesus and miss what Jesus is all about. Um, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but here's how I know that to be true, because that's true of me. Um, since I was a little boy, I've been fascinated with the person of Jesus. I, I don't know where it came from, but, uh, and so I've just, I've always loved Jesus and the person of Jesus. But throughout my entire journey, there are times along the way where there are these shifts that happen in my heart, in my vision, in my understanding to go, as much as I love Jesus, I'm not, I'm missing some things that he was all about. Has that ever happened for anyone in here? It's, so uh, I think this text, these three chapters in the book of Matthew are so helpful to reminding us because for most of us in this room, and there, there could be some of us that are still asking existential questions or, or wrestling with our faith and have doubt. But um, as I look around the room, most of you, I would say, you have a love for Jesus, just like me. But perhaps these texts, in some ways, they remind us that, or retune our hearts, or recalibrate us in some way that we could go, oh, wait a minute. As much as I love Jesus, this is what Jesus is all about. So let me realign with that. So that's what I love about what we're going to be doing for maybe the next six months is hopefully they'll help us not just love Jesus, but maybe find that our lives are tuned and are doing the things that Jesus would want us to do. Now, by the way, that's not being a perfect angel, all right? If that is your notion of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, you are missing it. It is being the image-bearing human being that you and I were made to be, Jesus shows us what it looks like to be human in the best possible way, in the way that we were created. So this text is inviting us into the kind of humanity that not only brings the most joyful, meaningful kind of lives to us as individuals, but actually helps make the world what it is supposed to be. So here's what I want to do. I want to read this text, and then I want to just give you some background on light and salt and then I have three observations that I want to make about this text, some things that I've learned in my study over the last couple of weeks. But let me read this text to you. It is Matthew chapter uh, 5, verse 13. And we went through the, we spent a couple of weeks on the blessings, the Beatitudes. But here, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. And by the way, Jesus says he's the light of the world prior to this. And then he, as he begins to teach his disciples he's going to leave the world, he now begins to say, now you are the light of the world. So now we're engaged. We have to participate in some way that brings the light to the world. So hear that. You, we are the light of the world. And a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Okay, let's start with salt. A couple things about salt. Because 
if we're going to understand what the text is speaking to us today, we've got to start with what did it mean to these first century uh, hearers who heard this? What did it mean to Jesus when he spoke it? So salt in the first century, it's a preservative. Um, this is how they actually preserve their food. In fact, uh, the understanding of salt in this day actually led to human civilization, civilization developing and growing because when you put salt into food and meat, what does it do? It keeps the, kills the bacteria, keeps things out. So this salt was a very meaningful thing to their culture. It had everything to do with their livelihood of being able to be sustained as a human being. So that's the first thing. Salt also was, um, it was their main seasoning and flavoring. The thing I love in Stacia, she read out of the um, Message Bible, it says, you're God's flavoring in the earth. And so salt is this thing that gives what? We put it on food and it makes it what? Savory and tasty. So it had that meaning. The other thing that it was, it was an antiseptic. It was used in healing. Um, that's how they cleaned wounds. That's how they healed, you know, things in their life. So there was this healing um, properties to, to salt that in this first century world that led to healing. Now, how many in here like watermelon? Anybody? I love watermelon. Um, and it was so funny. I, I was visiting my brother in Las Vegas. It was about four years ago, four or five years ago. And uh, I was with his daughter. And I got, a, I got this habit. I cut a watermelon in half, and I cover one half of it with, uh, what do you call that, silphane? Saran wrap, yeah. And I put it in the refrigerator, and I take the other half, and I eat it with a spoon, like a bowl. And so if I don't eat it all, I'll cover that up, put it back in the refrigerator. So I was with my, um, my niece, and I taught her that. And so he sends me a picture a couple weeks ago. He goes, what, what are you teaching my daughter? Like, you see her, she's got this, this thing cut out, and she's eating it with a spoon. But one of the things that I love to do is I put salt in it. Does anyone eat salt in their watermelon? No one? Okay, who? Salt on their watermelon, raise your hands. Who doesn't like salt in their watermelon? Raise your hand. Okay, here's what I actually think. I think putting salt on watermelon makes watermelon taste more watermelon-y. I don't, and, and, and I have science to back this up because that's actually what salt does. It intensifies what the, the taste buds on your tongue to actually have a more intense taste of what you're eating. Um, there are different foods that actually do that. So salt, in this beautiful way, intensifies the experience so that you can experience something more fully. So this is kind of what the first century they didn't, I don't know if they had watermelons back there. Maybe they did. I really don't know. I've never heard of that. But um, you put salt on things to make it what? More savory. So this is kind of what Jesus is, is driving out here, that salt matters. He goes on to say, you are the light of the world, which is a wonderful thing. And the things that light does for us. Um, have you ever, uh, we used to have campfires um, when I was a kid, we would camp, and, you know, there, there would be popcorn going on, food, you know, uh, alcoholic beverages for some of, the, uh, some of my family members, and so you'd have this experience around the campfire, then you'd wake up the next day, and you would see what was left, you know, laying on the ground. Light is this beautiful thing, but light also, and this is really wanna, what I want to focus on this morning, light could be this thing that uncomfortably exposes things. Um, it could be like, you know, being in a club at night where it's dark and then maybe going where the sunlight is shining in and seeing what was left behind. So light, although it's this beautiful property 
that helps us see. Light can also be this thing that exposes things and makes us uncomfortable. So I want to I want to talk a little bit about that, about what it means to be light in the world and how we could use that in such a way. Because my experience has been that um, Christians sometimes can use their light in a way that's unhelpful. It's like if you were in a dark place and someone came running up to you with a flashlight and shoved it in your face, like right here, it's like, is that really helpful to you finding your way? And, and my experience has been that a lot of Christians can be more antagonistic and not as helpful with their light. And so I just want to say this, although we're to be light in the world, I think there's a particular way that Jesus shows us in this text that we are to be light in the world. And it should be more helpful and not shaming or making people feel uncomfortable, but it should shine a light that perhaps there's a better way and they just don't see it. So there's a way that we could use light that I want to talk a little bit about this morning. So here is the thing. It's being distinct, but not necessarily being against. When I was a boy, the message that I got often was we were just to be against everything. Well, what are we for? You know, that was my question. We're like, are we for anything? Because to be light certainly can't be just to be this entity in the world that's just against everything. Like, how is that helpful? We're to be distinct in such a way that might show people there is a different way to be human. There's a different way to relate. There's a different way uh, to live. There's a different way to be that is actually more healthy and helpful to you, to me, and to the world around us. So being distinct, yes. Being against, uh, let's think about that, and let's think about how we, how we do that. Another thing is, is that we should stand out. Absolutely, I think we should. But how about this? How about if we stood out in a way that was by loving and forgiving and modeling a completely different way of being? Um, I've discovered this Instagram account. It's called Preachers and Sneakers. Has anyone seen it? Anybody? I'm the only one that follows that because I'm a preacher, so I'm fascinated with it. But, and I don't even know how I really feel about this Instagram, but I've kind of been drawn into it. Let me tell you what this guy does. Um, he takes pictures of popular preachers and pastors, and he shows the clothing that they're wearing. And um, like some of them are, there'll be pictures of the shoes that they're wearing on, their sta- on the stage. And then right next to it, he puts the name brand of that shoe and the cost of that shoe. Now, I don't know if you know this, but you and I, we go to, you know, Dick's or some shoe store locally and we buy a shoe. You know, there's a whole world of, of uh, designer sneakers and shoes that the elite buy, you know, athletes and stars. Well, this guy, what he's finding is preachers are buying these things and are wearing these things. And so he'll have a picture of these preachers. He'll show the shoe and then he says $1,300 pair of shoes. By the way, I'm wearing Vans. They were $50, just in case you're wondering. Um, and they're two years old, and Debbie just washed them, but I'm seeing stains on I don't know if I got that this morning or what. But, um, so I really don't know how I feel about that entirely because I don't like calling out people necessarily, but yet I'm fascinated by this because I also think that um, pastors sometimes... They should be compensated for what they do. They should live lives of being taken care of, of course. But sometimes in our culture, that goes to an extreme, and people are living like celebrities and rock stars when they maybe should be 
focusing on other things. But anyways, so um, I've been following this Instagram account. So that is not the way that I think we, we should be a light to the world. And here's what a journalist said about this preachers and sneakers thing that really struck a chord with me. And I'm not even sure that this journalist was a Christian. In fact, I don't think they are. But they said, they seem to not have anything to offer me or the world because they don't seem to be different than the world. And when I read that, it just really, really struck a chord with me. Now, we could be all about, it's the celebrity aspect of it. True. They, 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 they want to be something else. But I think, what if we took that in, I, I look at that in my own life. Would someone look at me and go, hey, George is distinct, not because he stands against something or he's antagonistic, but he seems to be helpful, and it seems to me that he's living differently, and maybe that's something I should pay attention to. Um, I take that seriously, and I think we all should take that seriously. So when Jesus offers us these words, he is inviting us into something that is, we should, we should be somewhat distinct and we should stand out, but let's stand out for the right things. So I just want to offer this, because this is what I get, and we're going to spend the rest of the Sermon on the Mount seeing this. Jesus keeps coming back to loving and forgiving. In fact, maybe he was thinking about this when he said this text, hey, you go be the light of the world, you be the salt of the earth. And then later on, which we're going to get to this, he covers things like this, because maybe he's thinking, hey, I don't want these people to use this to, to put people down or not to be helpful. So then he begins to say things later like this. Hey, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So his way of being light isn't coming at your enemies and attacking them. He's like, you actually should pray for them. You should actually think about how you could be a blessing to them. This is a completely different way of being light in the world. And then um, just a little bit later, Think about this. We're going to get to this text at some point, but he says, do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use against others, it'll be measured to you. So I wonder if Jesus at this particular point is even going, hey, I want them to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, but in a particular way. I'll cover that a little further down the road. So I think these are very, very helpful. Well, here's one of the first observations I want to make. And it's that salt and light is this. It is for the church to be visible in the world, but in a particular way that Jesus is inviting us to be visible. But look what uh, Dietrich uh, Bonhoeffer, look what he said about this. He said, because we could be visible in the world like these preachers with the sneakers, or we could, maybe could be visible in a different way. But he says this, to flee into in invisibility is to deny the call. Any community of Jesus, which we are and we're growing and becoming into, which wants to be invisible, is no longer a community that follows him. So there is this responsibility as people of God who take these texts seriously that we should be showing up in the world, invisible in the world in a particular way. Now, another thing I got in some of the um, faith traditions that I was a part of, was we wanted to hide from the world. You know, it's like everything in the world is bad, so just stay away from it. You know, it's like, and what you subconsciously get in that, that this is all about trusting Jesus and going to heaven when you die, but everything else in the middle doesn't matter. And that is not what Jesus teaches us. 
Those are important matters. And what happens later after this life is an important matter. But Jesus is as interested in what happens in the in-between and how we live it. So it isn't like, hey, get my ticket to heaven and I'm going to hide out, you know, keep my eyes closed, you know, see no evil and experience no evil. No, we are to be the kind of people that are growing that can move into those spaces and be distinct in the most helpful, the most healing, and some of the most beautiful ways that could guide people to what this was intended to be. So we're not to hide out. We're not to hide from the world. We are to be visible in some way, but let's not be like the preachers and sneakers. But I would say this. Um, let's not be, Carrington and Kayla are in here. I'll never forget, we went to Gatlinburg. They were maybe 10 and 8. And we're walking uh, in Gatlinburg, and there is this guy up on a bench on the street, and he's preaching. He's got a microphone and this big amplifier, and he's saying words like, you're condemned to hell, um, God is against you. Um, you need to repent right now. Where you, you know, if you don't do this, where you, if you die today, where are you going to end up? I mean, it's just complete judgment and condemnation. And, and then I hear the word Jesus. And so just go off. I'm like, wait a minute. Those words do not go together in that way, in the way I'm hearing it. But then I looked at my two girls, and I could see, you know, they're kind of moving away because this guy is angry. He's screaming into a microphone. And then, you guys remember this? His, you don't remember that? Okay. They were so little. I'm glad it, didn't, it wasn't so traumatic. Debbie, do you remember? He, got a, his, he gets his little son up. And he, his, his son was like eight or nine or something like that. And he starts reading out. You should have seen my girls' faces. Because they don't know that kind of preaching. Um, but he gets up on the park bench. Now, here's just what I want you to know. I'm sure that this human being was sincere. And I'm sure they... I hope they believe what they're doing. Because if you really believe that God is that angry, then you have no choice but to do that. Um, I've been compelled by the voice that I hear and see in Jesus and the image of God that he shows me. And it does not seem to quite be like that. So, but my point is this. No one was stopping to listen. And people were crossing the street on the other side to avoid this person. So, there is two ways you could show up in the world. You could show up and not be distinct at all and not stand out, or you could show up in the world and just be completely condemning and judging and um, you know, just not helpful at all and find that even in this message that you're teaching, no one is listening. No one is stopping to listen to this person. So um, I think we're being invited to something completely different. And here's the thing. It seems scary and threatening, and it's almost... It's almost like this, like threatening is going to uh, guide people into experiencing the love of God. It just does not make sense to me. I think my life needs change. My life needs transformation. My life needs continual growing and God's spirit revealing ways that I could be more distinct and grow and be more of what I was made to be. We never stop doing that. But I don't think we get there because we're fear, feared into it. I think we get there because we see something more beautiful. We see something that goes, yes, that is a better way to live. And I want my heart to grow in that more. So that's the kind of distinction that we're talking about. And then uh, Emerson, uh, I, Waldo Emerson, I think that's his name. Ralph Waldo Emerson. He says, what you are shall so loudly, what? That I can't hear what you're saying. So 
What are we becoming? Who are we? That's what matters more than what we're saying. And I think we could do a whole lot better maybe if we shut our mouths and exemplified light and salt more just by who we are and our presence in the world. But here's the way someone said it, and I love this. Never try to force other people to accept spiritual truth, but by your own life and conduct. Let's get that down first. And the peace and joy that radiate from you, that others will come to you on their own accord, inquiring about the wonderful thing that you have. Think about that for a moment. By my own life, by my own conduct, and the peace and joy that radiates from that life. I think that that might be more helpful to the world. And I bet if we could do that, the words that you want to share with people, the truth that you know it can be so helpful to others, that parts might be more open to it because they'll know ahead of time that you love. Now listen, there are, there are some hearts that just aren't. You could love them till they're blue in the face. You could tell them the truth and they just can't see it for whatever reason. But that's okay. I think I would stay on this path trusting that ultimately this might be what's most helpful to people in their lives. So here's what I just, I want to end with this. That I think Jesus is inviting us to a completely different way of being salt and light than maybe that we've ever known. And maybe each of us here in this room, we can take one step into that in some way. Um, Because I know my own heart's being convicted and challenged. And I'm facing lots of situations in life where I have to live this out. And I don't want to be all about Jesus and miss out on what he is really all about in regards to an individual's life, in regards to a communal life like a place like this, or to the larger world around me. I want to make sure that I'm in, we are in the spirit of Christ. So he's shown us a, a, a completely different way. Now here's just what I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with this, that there is this immensity within every human being. Like one of the things that Jesus I'm so compelled by in reading these Gospels is he saw infinite worth in every human being. Now, here's what's unique about Jesus in that culture. It wasn't that people didn't see worth and value in people, but they were the wealthy. They were the the most attractive. They were the powerful. They were the perfect people, you know, who didn't have any ailments. You know, they grew up in the right communities, the right cultures. And so, Uh, Yeah, they they were the ones that you would say had value and worth. But Jesus, in these blessings, he comes to people who are not in those categories. And he says, they are as valuable and worthy of all these other categories that you say. And actually what this culture, not just the religious culture, but the political culture of the day, you know, if you weren't in those categories, you were on the outskirt and you had no value and worth. So, Every human being has this immensity within. And here's what this immensity is. It's the immensity to love like Jesus. And I think it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, We're teaching about Jesus and following him. We talk about the Father God, who is the creator of all things. But we don't have to talk about this inner work of the Spirit, which 
the Bible talks about. It's the Holy Spirit. It's this immense power, this immense love within us that guides us. And it helps us become the salt and light that we are to be in the world. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but if I could tell you, I would say this to you, that every single one of us are carriers of that immensity within. And it is beautiful. And it is good. And I don't, you could, you could bring the worst human being to me and somehow I think Jesus would find that beauty within. And um, so if, you can find, if he could find it in the worst, the people that culture is saying are outcast, which I'll be honest, there are probably people that I write off that Jesus wouldn't. And I probably would be deeply convicted if Jesus here going, wait a minute, George, you, you're totally missing it here. Um, I'm being challenged by these texts that deeply. So as we continue to go in, we're not going to get there all the way. But that immensity through studying these texts, I think if we'll open up to the power of God's spirit at work in each of us and begin to trust it just a little bit more, I think we're going to find this as a beautiful thing. And I think we'll begin to experience the results not only within but around us in the way we relate, first of all, to the people that are closest to us, but then just the people that we come in contact with. So I, I want to end with this, that that presence within you is God's love. And Jesus, his example here, will guide us to it. But there was a, a book that I read, and, and um, if you want to understand where George's, George gets most of his theology, N.T. Wright, he's a New Testament scholar. Um, he has just been a inf huge influence on my life. He's a pastor someone that I've read every book that he could read. But when I was just kind of um, getting into pastoral work, um, I read this book called The Challenge of Jesus. And, and for the first time, there was an understanding of how the New Testament is inviting us and in, in, in how we live right now. It isn't just about get your ticket to heaven, and once you got that, just hold on till you get there, right? Hold on till you die. That there was actually someone that was framing up these gospels in some way that mattered to my life. And my relationship with Jesus um, became so much more powerful and real and, and poignant in my life because um, I learned from this New Testament scholar that this is what Jesus was teaching. Well, I want to show you what he says, and this is what I'm going to leave you with today um, in this book called The Challenge of Jesus. He says, our task as image-bearing, God-loving, Christ-shaped, spirit-filled Christians Following Christ and shaping our world is to announce redemption, redemption to the world that has discovered its fallenness, to announce healing to the world that has discovered its brokenness. Just think about that for a moment. To proclaim love and trust to the world that knows only exploitation, fear, and suspicion. These are ways that we can be distinct in the world. If the world only knows expectation, fear, and suspicion, let's be other than that. Let's be different. Let's stand out for being something different than that. The gospel of Jesus points us and indeed urges us to be at the leading edge of the whole culture. We are supposed to be that. And when I look around this room, so many of you are, whether it's you're an artist and you play an instrument whether you are in some kind of healing work, some kind of nonprofit, whether you, I see doctors in here. I mean, I can just go around the room. We are all in some shape or form on the leading edge of culture. This is where the action's at. This is where we could be most distinct. 
So it isn't going to find another life or find another occupation. It's how can we do this right here where our lives have brought us. And I think that's actually what this is saying to us. At the leading edge of the whole culture, leading the way with joy and humor. And thank you for smiling back there, Tony. Yes. And gentleness and good judgment and true wisdom. And lastly, humans were made to reflect God's creative stewardship in the world. This is salt and light. Creative stewardship. How we care for things. How we care for the world that we live in. We are to be the bearers both of his redeeming love and his creative stewardship. To celebrate it, to model it, to proclaim it, and to dance to it. Can I get an amen in this place? I think that's what it means to be salt and light. Can we celebrate it? Can we model it? Can we proclaim it? And I can't dance, but by golly, I will dance to this kind of gospel if given the chance. So stand up with me right now, and let's all dance. No. (laughs) Um, All right. I know I just touched the surface on what this could mean, but I think you guys get the gist. Um, We'll spend the next several weeks looking at what Jesus means by this. Because here's the thing. We We do not have to wonder. It is plainly in this text over these next several months. So, a blessing. Can we be the kind of people who find people in the world who don't think they're worthy of a blessing? And can we bless them? Can we be those kind of people? Because that's what Jesus does in this text. He finds those that need the blessing the most. Can we be the kind of people who, in being light and salt, can we ask the question, how helpful are we really being? Or am I just trying to make a point here? Or trying just to set someone right? Because in Jesus' day, there were a lot of people that were really good at that. But there weren't many who were willing to be more helpful. And if Jesus is condemning of anyone, he's condemning of those who put all these judgments on people but truly do not lift a finger to help. Can we be the kind of people who help? And can we be a community that doesn't hide from the world, that takes our Christianity serious and we keep opening our hearts to ways as a community, as individuals, that we could be the kind of light and salt that Jesus is talking about here. And here's the truth. I do not have all the answers to that. I'm just one part. I'm going to need all of you to teach me. And we're going to need each other to teach one another so that we could be that. Because we all have this immensity within that we carry. May you know it. And may you know how valuable and blessed you are. And you are a gift to the world. May we all be it. Grace and peace.